we're entering the holiday season. We're already there, and you, you know it. And I saw this meme the other day, and I thought, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. Because there's nothing about Christmas that, that prompts calmness for me. All right, so just as a pastor, I've got Christmas sermons, and then you have things to attend and stuff to do, and I've got a kid in school, so there are, there are things to go to. There are a lot of stressors around Christmas. Um, things like, I mean, there are things like um, gift stressors. So you have to shop for gifts. You have to hope that the gift you want is there. Um, you have to hope that you can pay for the gift if it's there. If you have kids, you have to hide the gifts. You have to hope the gifts aren't found. Uh, did you ever, like, anybody ever look for the gifts that your mom and dad had? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, it's like a challenge that I, I took up. You've got, you've got the whole issue of um, attending parties, uh, preparing meals. My wife... Um, sometimes makes things and you got you got to make stuff for people and and you have to figure out there, there's also the stress of you don't want to forget anybody that you should have gotten something for that that's kind of one of those things um, you have to get a Christmas tree unless you have a uh, one that's um, not real what's that called uh, uh, fake I didn't want to use that word is there a better word artificial yes I don't want to call any of you fakes so uh if you get a real tree, then you have to find the tree, you have to put it on top of your car or whatever, and then you have to hope you can get it home. There's a lot, a lot of stress. Um, if you are married, uh, if you're young married, you have to figure out where you're going to spend Christmas, like his parents or her parents. If there's divorce, it's worse, because then you got a lot of uh, you know moving parts. In Kentucky, it's easier. You marry your cousin, one family. Uh, so it's... <laughs> Much easier, you know. Uh, there's the whole issue of gaining weight. Um, something that's stressing me out right now is that the McRib is only here for a limited time. Uh, that really causes me some stress. And then the, the Christmas music. Uh, last Christmas, I gave you my heart. It's the worst Christmas song. Well, it's really not. There are, there's like a lot of worse Christmas songs. Christmas shoes, horrible. Um, all I want for Christmas is you, shoot me. I mean, it's like there's a bunch of them. And right when I'm about to get in a very cool Christmas mood, one of those songs will come on, I hate that stuff. And sometimes you have, all right, I've got the, the pressure of trying to create a memory. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of pressure. And you have to figure out, you know, where are we going to take the perfect picture and all that stuff. And then you've got, you know, New Year's is approaching. It's not just Christmas. It's the holiday season. And so you have deadlines. And maybe you made New Year's resolutions at the beginning of 2023. And you haven't quite accomplished all those things. And so now you've got to figure that out a little bit. And how do you pay for stuff and travel? There's just a lot of stress. So we're going to talk about it today. Uh, we're starting a series called The Christmas with Less Stress, and today we're going to talk about the cure for holiday stress. Because here's the deal, um, for every silent night and for every sleep in heavenly peace, there's just a lot of things that are going on. Now, let's take a breath and think about the very first Christmas. So today, you come to church to change focus, hopefully, 
I mean, maybe, maybe you have got this down, and I'm going to talk about stuff today, and you're going to go, this doesn't apply to me, and I hope it doesn't apply to you. But if it does, if the, all the moving parts of out there, you come here for a little solace. I mean, you, you want to be settled. Part, part of coming to church is settling, I think. So let's talk about the very first Christmas, because it wasn't real settled either. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. You know probably that you find the Christmas story in Matthew 1 and 2 and in uh, Luke 2, and so that's where you find the Christmas story. So we're going to be in Matthew 2 today. And this is the story about the wise men. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, if you read or if you've read the story, if you've heard the story over and over, there is a tendency to not notice some of the details. So let's talk about some of the details today. Herod was the king of the region, okay? Uh, he was appointed king. He wasn't Jewish, but he was given the title king of the Jews, all right? He's given the title king of the Jews. He comes to power, I think, about 37 B.C. He's given the title king of the Jews. When he's given the title king of the Jews, he uh, rustles up an army and they go and they overthrow Jerusalem, and he sets up his, his courts, his uh, empire, uh, palace or whatever, in Jerusalem. That's, that his, that's his headquarters. And so you have this guy named Herod. He was uh, not benevolent. He was um, uh, horrible. He was really wicked. And sometimes I wonder, you know, why do people, why were those people included in the Christmas story? Well, there's a reason, and we'll talk about it in a second. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Bethlehem and Jerusalem are pretty close together, about five miles apart, during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? What was Herod's title? King of the Jews. All right, you don't have to be a history aficionado to understand sitting kings don't like competition. They like power. And so you're King Herod, you're just doing your kingy stuff. I don't know what kings do. Uh, you're crowning people. I, you know, I don't know whatever you're doing, uh, playing checkers, because uh, you, you, there's you. Uh, so you're doing stuff, right? And he's being kingy, kingly. And all of a sudden, some folks from the east show up and they say, hey, where's the newborn king of the Jews? <laughs> we saw his star and as it rose and we've come to worship him. Not only is he the king, he's worthy of worship. Okay, well, one can imagine that Herod might have taken offense at this. The current king of the Jews really doesn't want to think about a new king of the Jews. In fact, Herod was ruthless about this. He had power, he liked power, and he did really bad things to keep power. He had several of his sons executed. Uh, he had at least one wife executed because he was afraid they were going to try to take his kingdom. So this is a guy who is not... He's not, uh, um, uh, he, he, he's not unwilling uh, to take decisive 
vicious action to keep his throne. So the next verse makes sense. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. If you've ever worked in a business where you had a short-tempered boss, you felt like you had to walk on eggshells around him because or her, because if they lost their cool, everybody was going to pay. This is Herod, and this is Herod's kingdom. And everybody walked on eggshells. And so when Herod was disturbed, everybody was disturbed. And you can imagine you live in this area and you have a subsistence lifestyle. You are living hand to mouth. You're barely making ends meet. And all of a sudden, word gets to you that the king is upset. And the king has ultimate authority and he can do anything he wants. In fact, we see this later in the Christmas story because King Herod is so disturbed that there's a newborn king. He has all the boys in the region killed who are two years and younger. This is a wicked, vicious man who's included in the Christmas story. And this is the world into which Jesus was born. Now, in Luke 2, it says the angels show up to the shepherds and they say, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Well, the all people didn't include Herod, and it sure didn't include his, uh, his, his people in his kingdom. I mean, when Herod was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, there was a reason. So Jesus is born into, and, and actually Jesus' birth caused a great deal of stress. It's very stressful. Now, I grew up, you know, a long time ago, I'm pretty old, and, and I remember looking at Norman Rockwell pictures. These, they're nostalgic. I think he painted this in the 40s or 50s. I don't remember exactly. It's before my time, but still. Uh, you look at the picture. By the way, the guy with the pipe and the bow tie in the back, that's Norman Rockwell. That's him. He kind of painted himself into the picture, which is interesting to me. And look at everybody's face. Everybody's happy. Granny over here on the left's happy. You know, the baby even looks happy. He brought some presents. This is somebody coming home for Christmas. And this is my idea of what Christmas should look like. And this is why some of you love that movie, It's a Wonderful Life, because Christmas at the end is this. And this is why some of us who are uh, movie uh, buffs uh, like the, the best Christmas movie, Die Hard, uh, because this is the, what the, the movie's like at the end. You know, so the, uh, good conquers evil. And, and this is what we think is like, this is what Christmas should be. The problem is, and maybe this is Christmas for you. It's good. Good for you. But it's not that way for everybody. In fact, it's probably not that way for most people. And so Christmas is coming and people have this way of coping with Christmas. Now some people, they'll fake it. They'll just put on a happy face. They go to the, you know, Christmas lunch with the family or dinner or whatever. They hang out. Um, it's going to be a hap, hap, happy Christmas no matter what anybody does. They are going to just fake it. Some people endure it. It's like the whole season, they just endure it. This is going to happen. It's going to happen whether I you know, am part of it or not. I'll go. I'll grit my teeth. It's like running a marathon. It, it's going to be over soon. And you probably know this, but depression and suicide uptick during the holidays because 
It's really difficult to fake it for very long, and it's really difficult to endure it for very long. And so people just really get out of sorts. There's another group of people, and they control it. They're like air traffic controllers. They know these, this group of people and this group of people in my family don't get along, and so they keep them separated. You know, Aunt Betty, you can come in on, uh, you know, come in from 8 to 12, and then Uncle Leo, you can come in. And, and so we're not ever going to put them together. And if we're at the table all at the same time, we're going to put you as far apart as possible, and we're going to make sure, we're going to control the situation. Um, I, I got you a gift for her because I know you don't like her, but she, she's expecting a gift from you, so I did it anyway. I got it for you. And we have this tendency to control it. And yet, when we think about that Christmas, then I bring you good, ju- good news of great joy kind of rings a little bit hollow. I mean, I think one of the reasons we like Christmas music is it sort of takes us to the place where we want to go. I-, I like one of my favorites is it's the most wonderful time of the year. I like that song. It's the most wonderful. I mean, it was Andy Williams. I don't even know who he is, but uh, I like that. And uh, it, you know, it's the hap- happiest season of all. And I like that. I just like the notion of it. The problem is, that's not everybody's experience. In fact, one of the most popular Christmas movies is Christmas Vacation. Now, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you everything that happens. And if you haven't watched it by now, tough. Uh, you got Clark Griswold. And Clark is obsessed with having the, the most lights on his house. You know, he wants to be the biggest and the brightest. And he's got neighbors who don't like him. They're yuppies. It's Elaine from Seinfeld. I don't know what her problem is. Uh, but she doesn't like this. And so they have this conflict with the neighbors and the lights. And, and one of the best scenes is they're, they're all, all the Griswolds are sitting around and, and they're kind of hanging out. And, and, and it's like this moment of peace. And then the doorbell rings. And then... Everything changes. And the in-laws come in, and the in-laws don't particularly like Clark and all that. And, and, then, and then you think, oh, it can't get any worse. And Cousin Eddie shows up. And we love Cousin Eddie because we all have a Cousin Eddie, and some of you are Cousin Eddie. You just don't know it. Look, if you don't have a Cousin Eddie in your family, it might be you. You have to think about it. And Miriam doesn't have a Cousin Eddie. They're Swiss. Eduardo. And everybody's got these people. And Cousin Eddie shows up, and he's got a dog named Snots, and it's horrible. The whole thing is horrible. And then, as if it couldn't get any worse, Uncle Lewis shows up with his bad toupee and his cigar, toting his wife, I think her name was Bethany, and they ask her to pray over the Christmas dinner, and she, pledged, she says the Pledge of Allegiance. And then he cuts into the turkey, and it's, it's dry and horrible. And I think this movie is so popular because it's a little closer to reality than the Norman Rockwell picture. It kind of rings true for people. And so, today let's talk about what can we do to cure a stress-filled Christmas. One of the things you've already done is come here today. I, I think there's something about catching your breath at church. Just something about it. We sang beautiful songs. I like that we're doing carols and, and, and some of the old stuff. And it's just kind of in a different way. And, and it kind of brings us, it, it kind of centers us a little bit. But let's talk about 
you can fake it and you can, you know, you can try to control it and you can endure it. It's, it's, those are possibilities. But I would suggest the first thing you do is embrace it. Now, let me show you something. This is super interesting to me. These wise men show up. They ask Herod, hey, where's the king of the Jews that's supposed to be born? Herod calls in the religious leaders, people who are really, really, they really know their scriptures. And they say, Herod says to them, and the wise men are there, where is this newborn king of the Jews supposed to be born? And these really, really smart religious leaders say, in Bethlehem, in Judea, uh, for this is what the prophets have written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. These guys are super smart. They are quoting Micah 5.2. Let's take a quiz. How many of you can quote anything from Micah right now without looking? How many of you knew Micah was in the Bible? Oh, good. Okay, okay, great, 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 great. Uh, I should have started with how many of you can quote anything from the Bible. These people, I want you to think about, so this is the Old Testament. Micah is back here somewhere. Oh, I turned right to it. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Micah's right here. That's providential because there's no way I was going to find it. Micah's here. They knew, they knew all of it. To know that little bit of it, they knew it all. All right, so they know it all. Now what they've just heard is, we've come from a long distance to meet the newborn king of the Jews. This is what the people from the wise men from the east are saying. We've come a long distance to hear to meet, to greet, to find the newborn king of the Jews. Where is he to be born? And these religious people are like, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Like, okay. Now, you'd think they would be curious. Like, I should, maybe we should go. Those wise men are going, maybe we'll tag along. Maybe we'll go with them. It's five miles. A five-mile walk, I mean, you could do a five-mile walk. Most all of us can walk five miles in a couple hours. I mean, it's not that, really that far. We could do a five-mile walk. You can do it. These guys, you would think they'd be curious. Oh, we ought to go see this newborn king of the Jews as well. And yet, they didn't. It's, it, 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 I'm flummoxed. <laughs> Why would you not at least go? You see, Christmas in America has become so commercialized that we miss it. We miss opportunities to really focus on Jesus if we're not careful. And when I said a minute ago, embrace Christmas, I'm not talking about embrace like American Christmas, but in embrace the notion of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas. In fact, in Matthew it says, this is a quotation of Isaiah, Look, the virgin will, be, will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a lot of stressors around this holiday season. But the thing that causes me the least stress is that God is with me. I mean, 
I'm going to lean into Christmas because that means God is with us. Which leads me to the second point. Our focus should be on Jesus. So the story continues. The wise men, uh, the star they had seen in the east, guided them to Bethlehem. So once they figured out where they were going, the star helps them find the way. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They had this, they had a mission. They brought gifts. They, they wanted to deliver the gifts. In fact, they just said a minute ago, we want to find Him so we can worship Him. They, they, were, they were focused. And if we're not careful, we lose focus of the most important part of Christmas, which is Jesus. I read a story about a guy named John Huffman. He's a pastor, and he's in Newport Beach, California. He had a white elephant party at, at his house for his staff. And, and so uh, there were, I don't know, 10, 12 of them, I don't know. And, you know, if you've ever done a white elephant, they're fun. So you, you give a gift like keys or a bottle of water or something stupid, and you put it in the, put in the bag, and then you open it up, and usually it's horrible, and we all laugh. And so they were doing that, and they had exchanged eight or nine gifts already, and they were kind of funky and fun, and everybody's having a good time. And then the next lady opens up her bag she had gotten, and it had the nativity. It had Jesus in a manger from the nativity. And John Huffman's wife, she looked at it and she said, hey, that's mine. Like it came off the nativity at, on the coffee table. It's like one of the staff had stolen it. It's kind of what her point was. Well, no, in, in the hustle and bustle of gathering the, the, the presents, Jesus had been swept into the bag, <laughs> which is a really interesting metaphor because... During this day, our day, Jesus has often been swept out the door. We, we don't focus on Him. Let, let me go back to the religious wise people in Jerusalem. I, I want you to think, let's put these people in uh, comparison to one another. You have wise men coming from the east, 900, 1,000 miles away. I mean, they came from a long distance. You have people who live five miles away, right? It would have taken months to travel 900, 1,000 miles. They would have had an entourage. They were in danger of bandits, uh, bad weather, sickness. They risked a great deal to travel that distance to see the newborn king of the Jews. The wise people in Jerusalem wouldn't walk five miles they wouldn't risk anything. They knew the prophecy. They just didn't care. It was like it doesn't make any sense to them. And so the next verse, the wise men, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And isn't it funny that we focus on the things that are important to us? Mike Benson is a, a speaker, kind of one of those TED Talk speakers, and he talks about one time his, his daughter, Lily. Um, she had eaten dinner, and she had left six green beans on her plate. Now, anybody, any parent's going to know this story, going to understand this story. Six green beans. It's all she had left. And he, he said he usually doesn't care, but this for, for some reason today he cared. 
And so he said, Lily, you have to eat your last six green beans. And she said, Daddy, I can't. I just can't. And this is her quote. Dad, I'm full to the top. If I eat any more, I think I'll pop. That's what she said. I'm going to pop. And he said, you're not going to pop. You, you, can, you can risk it. If you pop, I'm right here. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take you to the emergency room. I can't do it, Daddy. I just can't do it. It's six green beans. You know, and you've, you, any parents had this discussion. It's just six green beans. I can't do it. So he said, okay. But you know that we have pumpkin pie for dessert. And I'm, I'm going to give you a big piece of pumpkin pie with a dollop of whipped cream on top. Ooh, could you eat that? Oh, yeah, Daddy, I could eat that. <laughs> and he's like, Lily, how, how can you eat pumpkin pie with a big dollop of whipped cream on top and not eat those six green beans? And she, she stood on her chair and she said, Daddy, let me explain it to you. Eight years old. Let me explain it. This half of my stomach is for vegetables and meat. It is full. This half is for pie. It is not full. We, we do what we want to do, right? I mean, this is kind of how it works. And, and that's an illustration of we just do what we want to do. And stress is, it's everywhere all the time. It just, it's almost heightened at Christmas or around the holidays. Uh, did, did you know that Experts say getting married is actually more stressful than losing your job. My friend Sarah Margaret, Sarah Margaret, where are you? Is she here? Oh, Sarah Margaret. Uh, Josiah is our student pastor. He also does small groups. He married a lovely young lady. Her name is Sarah Margaret. Think about the stressors that she's had. She's, I'm, I'm surprised she's even walking. Uh, she got married to him. Uh, that's one thing. She had to change the place she lives. She took a new job. What else you got going on? A puppy. They bought like that wasn't enough. They they talked amongst themselves and said, "Oh, we should get a puppy." Uh, four. I mean, good for you, Sarah Margaret, here at church. Josiah, what are you doing for? Uh, are you even helping her? So, lots of stressors. Did you know? I, I looked this up. Retirement is more stressful than changing houses. I didn't. I mean, I'm. I may never retire. Uh, we all have stress. You want stress? It's going to happen in a couple of minutes when you try to get out, uh, out of the parking lot. There's always stress. It's all the time. Okay, so the holidays can make it worse. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you're in a family situation and you know, Cousin Eddie is there and... You say something that you wish you hadn't said. Anybody ever do that? Or you dread going someplace. You don't really want to do it, but you do. Maybe right now during the sermon, you're doing a to-do list and God sees that. Uh, he sees that. So let me give you some simple, really simple steps to refocusing. Real simple. On Christmas Day, we always read the Christmas story. Again, it's the beginning of Matthew and the beginning of Luke. That's where you find it. You don't have to wait till Christmas to read those stories. You can read them anytime. You can read that account anytime. And so maybe part of refocusing for Christmas is, okay, I'm just going to I'm going to get quiet. Do you know how long it takes to read the first couple of chapters of Matthew? I doubt if it takes more than 5 minutes. The second chapter of Luke, 5 minutes. It's actually easier to read because you've heard it before. 
use a different translation, look at it. But one of the things of refocusing on Christmas would be, let's talk about, let's read about Christ and what that means for us. Give to somebody who's in need anonymously. Just kind of give anonymously. You, you, you find out somebody has a need and then you, you meet the need. This reminds us that Jesus came because we had a need. Maybe you want to display a nativity scene. We've got three or four at our house. Miriam always puts up the nativity scene. And I always thought, I don't, I don't care that it's up, but I really kind of do care that it's up. Because I like, I like the reminder. I like when I'm driving around and people have decorated. Not with the Grinch. Not with, you know, <laughs> a nativity of Mickey Mouse. But when there are lights on the trees, I'm reminded Jesus is the light of the world. And greenery reminds us that, that he, he makes all things new. And candles. I, I just think all that stuff, it's, it's, it is a, uh, sen- they cause sensations in my mind that remind me of Christmas. Say Merry Christmas to people. Not as a political statement or to be a jerk. But people will sometimes say to me, Happy Holidays. And I'm saying Merry Christmas because I want you to have a Merry Christmas. It's a blessing. I want to bless you wishing you a Merry Christmas. I'm not trying to make a point. It's Christmas, and it should be merry, and I want that for you. Listen to Christmas music that focuses on Christ. One of the, one of the things I loved about this morning's uh, uh, music set was how Christ-centered it was. And this is, this is what Christmas is. Music takes us to a different place. And so, last Christmas, I gave you my heart. That didn't do anything for me, man. Uh, but Silent Night, man, that brings it, it brings it to me. And I know that Jesus, you know, no crying he makes. I know, that, I know that didn't happen. I know that didn't happen. But I still like the wonder of it. Maybe you need to reconnect with an old friend. Somebody you haven't seen in a while. And you just maybe want to say, hey, I wanted to wish you a happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, these are ways for us... To, to really start to focus on what is important. Something else you can do is eliminate distractions. All right, so the wise men had delivered their, their praise and they, they had delivered their presence, and now it was time to go home. And they were warned in a dream, it says here, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod, because Herod was a wicked, vicious man, and he was going to do wicked, vicious things. So, how do you eliminate some of the distractions? I'm going to give you some advice. Jettison some things that aren't necessary. You don't have to do everything you've always done. I'll give you an example. Maybe you are a cookie baker. You make the very best walnut and cranberry cookies that have ever been made. Walberry, walberry, well, walnut and cranberry cookies that have ever been made. And everybody loves your walnut and cranberry cookies. In fact, people ask you, hey, 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 when are you making your next batch of walnut and cranberry cookies? And you feel compelled to make walnut and cranberry cookies. Just for a moment, think about what would it be like if I bought some cookies and gave them away and I didn't make walnut and cranberry cookies? 
would people stop liking me? If they did, do you really want them to like you? If they only like you because you make a walnut and cranberry cookie, they're weirdos. You don't want them. Um, are you going to die? No. Is the world going to keep turning? Yes. We get in our minds, we've got to do this, and you don't really have to do this. What about sharing the load? Maybe you've always made everything. I make the turkey, I make the stuffing, I make the dressing, I make the blah, blah, blah. You make it all. What if you ask somebody to help you this year? Hey, could you help me with this? Don't be, don't be passive-aggressive. Just ask. They could say no, and then when they come to eat, you could say no. Uh, you know, it's like, well, you didn't make anything, you don't get anything. Uh, it's kind of how it works. But you could ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. Look, I'm a man. I don't like to ask for help. But I'm old. I'm a man who's old and asks for help now. I've got two strapping young sons-in-law. Whenever they're around, I ask them to do everything. Hey, could you get that? Could you do that? That's why they don't come around very much. Uh, I'm always asking them to do stuff because I don't care. I need help. I need help. So I ask for help. You just ask for help. It's okay. Lighten your calendar. You don't have to attend everything. Maybe you're expected to attend everything, but you don't have to. What if you were sick? You wouldn't attend it. So just tell everybody you're sick. Uh, respect the budget. All right, I'm going to, let me lay it out. Nobody ever died from getting one toy instead of five. Not one kid. Nobody has ever died of disappointment for not getting the gift that they think they should get. You just Even Clark Griswold thought he was going to get something great and he got Jello of the Month Club. I mean, it just happens sometimes. So, have a budget, respect the budget, stay within the budget. And if you've already bought stuff and you're over the budget, take it back. It's okay. Now, what if somebody was snooping around and they saw those toys or whatever and you took it back? It's going to be a surprising Christmas morning. <laughs> Bring a whole new level of surprise. <laughs> hey, I thought I was getting well surprised. I mean, it's okay. Prioritize your most significant relationships. Christ, that's what we're talking about. Christ first. But, but your spouse, your family, close friends. The holidays don't have to be the most stressful time of the year. They don't have to be. Some of it is we <laughs> let it take us over. Remember, and suddenly there were the angels, with the angels, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth and on earth, peace. This is supposed to be the most peace filled season. We should calm down, slow down, and enjoy the season for the reason it's important. I, I want to end with a little story. Max Dupree is a, a writer uh, on leadership. He wrote a book called Leadership Jazz. And in it, he talks about the story of the birth of his granddaughter. Her name was Zoe. Zoe was premature. She weighed one pound, seven ounces. Can you imagine? I mean, that would fit in your hand. Dupree says she was so little, he could take his wedding ring and put it over her arm up to her shoulder. That's how little she was. She was when she was born, the... Uh, the, the doctor came to the family and they said, he said, she has 
about a 5 to 10% chance of living more than three days. She, she's not likely to survive. And yet she did. Dupree talks about the first time he scrubbed up to go see her in the, uh, in the NICU. And she had two IVs in her navel, one in her foot, a monitor on each side of her chest, and a respirator tube and a feeding tube in her mouth. She was a sight. To complicate matters, Zoe's biological father decided to bug out about a month before she was born. So now you have all of that stress. Dupree goes in, and there's a neonatal nurse. Her name was Ruth. And Ruth had heard that the dad wasn't involved, and so she says to this grandfather, I need you to do something. You're going to be the surrogate dad at least for a while. This is what you have to do. You have to come here every day. You have to hold that baby. Take your fingertips and rub her little arms and rub her legs. Rub on top of her head with your fingertips, lightly, gently. And as you're rubbing her little body, you need to talk to her. Say, I love you. Say, I'm praying for you. You're special to us. You're beautiful to us. And the nurse named Ruth said, you have to talk and touch at the same time because the baby has to equate your touch with your voice. She's going to know your voice. She needs to also know your touch. I found this sweet little picture. Isn't that great? Dupree makes the point at the end of this book, or at the end of this paragraph. God knew we needed both His words and His touch. So He gave us His word, but we needed His touch. And so the reason Jesus came was to give us His touch. Not so that we would be stressed and hurried and frantic, but so we would have peace. When Jesus left, He said, Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. It was never Jesus' intention for us to live with this kind of stress. It's just not how He wants us to live. And we don't have to. We just don't have to. We need to make Jesus the focus of Christmas. That changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this day. Thank You for this um, message, this idea. Help us to have a right focus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>